Here the old gods are dead. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm sorry, I'm chewing. <laughs> One second. I like underestimated how chewy the thing I just ate was. What is it? Found while I was in London. Milky Bar Chews. <gasps> you lucky cunt. I know. Big fan. Big fan. Big fan Huge. of a... Was it Mars Delights? You remember those? Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. A Milky Way crispy roll. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God, missing her. Milky Way crispy rolls are the elite. The elite. They will Bring always her back. be famous. They will always be famous. How was London? So good. I saw Lana Del Rey. I cried four times because that's the first time I've seen her since Lust for Life tour. Is I was also at that one. Yeah, and then she cancelled the next one. Yeah, and then COVID for the next two. Mm-hmm. So this is the first time she's done the UK tour. Remember when she cancelled the tour in Glasgow and then the next day she was at Disneyland Paris? <laughs> <laughs> she, she was like, I'm sick. And then she was at Disneyland Paris. Sick of being in Scotland. <laughs> I know. And then whenever she's here, she's like, it was a second home to me for so many years. And I'm like, okay, now what? <laughs> Why'd you never come here then? Mind when. Mind when Lana Del Rey was a Celtic fan. Actually, I was going to text you about Lana Del Rey being a Celtic fan very briefly at one point in our life before she became a Liverpool fan. Uh, and I was thinking about it. And then I was like, I used to be obsessed with the Ghost Whisperer, like the telly program. Uh-huh. And Jennifer Love Hewitt also supported Celtic briefly for a moment in her life because she went out with a Scottish guy. No. Is that, is that true? That is, is there, true, it's very true. Is there true. like picture evidence? Yeah, my mum's Take a Break magazine's honourable mention <laughs> for the second episode in a row. <laughs> Not on. Take a Break. <laughs> Jennifer Love Hewitt, Celtic. <laughs> no, it's true. It is true. Please <gasps> She even has a hat. <laughs> oh my god. Um, right, 
basically, this is a funny story about Lana Del Rey when she lived in Scotland. But Maybe. basically, this guy's uncle was <laughs> at a party with his, um, with his nephew's um, new girlfriend. And she was a musician. And he was like, what's your name? And she was like, Lana. But like my artist name's like Lana Del Rey and he was like they were chatting for a while and that and that's obviously just this like like older Scottish man and yeah. on the way out of the party he was like good luck with all that music stuff hen no. and, and then he went back home and told his like other nephew and he was like that's fucking Lana Del Rey like she has like Grammys and that and you were telling her good luck with that music stuff hen because he thought she was pretty shy no <laughs> <laughs> oh my god he was so lucky I can't believe that would happen <laughs> to a person um, famously no Grammys oh aye, famously no, no Grammys. Grammys but famously because, millions of streams because um, Norman fucking Rockwell should have won the Grammy that year and didn't I didn't really give much of a fuck about awards and stuff apart from when we talk about the Oscars but the only like album of the year that I've really agreed with is Golden Hour by Casey Musgraves. Yep. And so many people are like, I've never even fucking heard this. And I'm like, well, maybe you should. And you would be less sad all the time. Yeah. Especially when it's sunny. My God. It's Golden Hour weather right now, actually. And we're recording this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of London, I have traveling stories, of course. <laughs> he's well traveled ladies and gentlemen <laughs> yeah i go to edinburgh back every day and now i've been to london <laughs> my god it, like it was weird because like i don't know i don't think that many people could be like that old or like wearing a bag but everyone that went past me on the train on the way there smelled like piss And then I realized, like afterwards, they all smelled like piss, but they were all carrying like the like the you know how the trains like the L and E R and stuff like that. They have the food bit still. Uh huh. They were all holding like the food bags. Like, are they feeding the people piss? Like, what is going on? <laughs> Not the like L N E R. Like, yeah. given like plague food. <laughs> like, genuinely, I was like, what is going on? Like, are they serving asparagus? Or, like, <laughs> it was so bad. But, like, at first I was like, maybe they're just all old and, like, you get to that age where, like, you cough a little bit and the pelvic floor is not as strong as it used to be. But then, no. And then I was like, well, maybe they could be, like, it's like no, there can't be that many people wearing a bag either. Like, it was just wild. The food was served with an extra side of piss. Yeah. That's piss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of that piss dog fame. What is that dog <laughs> called again? It has its own account. I don't know. Let's piss. <laughs> um, and then on the way there, so I accidentally bought a split save ticket. So between Wigan and Glasgow, I had a reserved seat. But between Wigan and London, which is like an hour and a half, it's only like two stops, but I didn't have a reserved seat. Uh -huh. And I didn't notice this when I got on the train. So I sat in my reserved seat, Glasgow to Wigan. Then some lady and her son. And I was like, first of all, what the fuck is going on here? Like, please, like, let him off your teeth. Like, 
anyway um, <laughs> they got on they got on and then the lady was like excuse me i think these are our seats and i was like oh and i was like i thought these were my seats and then i checked and i was like but my ticket says and then i swiped the other ticket and i was like oh no you're right like i see what's happened and i explained it to her and then i was like okay so i'll just let you sit here and she's like well <laughs> and i was like what like i was literally being apologetic and i was like getting up and she went well <laughs> and i was like i will throat punch you you wallace and gromit looking bitch like i was so mad like she looked genuinely like stop motion curse of the way rabbit type <laughs> vibe and she was like picking on me and i was like there are so like you're like an easy target why would you do that I collected myself and I moved on but it was just so like traveling is never my friend and sometimes I'm like am I the problem but I literally was apologetic and she was still mad <laughs> well <laughs> I don't know well <laughs> uh, it was just so affront it was so affronting like I would just sat there and she went well I was <laughs> Sorry, that is so funny. <laughs> it was just so uncalled for. That's English for you. Well, yeah, she was English. I didn't want to bring that into it because I like I sound like I have a bee in my bonnet or something, but like for real. <laughs> anyway. No, I'm only saying that's English for you because of what episode for the end of the day. <gasps> so true. To be honest, this episode's Everybody's gonna sit down and get a whole rundown of the twelve hundreds in Scotland. Like I needed to set scenes. I thought the series was gonna be like three episodes long, but it turns out a lot of people are talking about William Wallace, but they're not really saying a lot. Yeah, no one agrees on anything that ever happened to him. This the source work for this is just like reading books that are arguing with previous books about William Wallace that have came out. So I've got two pretty dense and a nice story to tell and is it historically accurate it's more historically accurate than braveheart (laughs) 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 really reaching for the stars here (laughs) so they're like the bar's really on the flare Um, (laughs) but we'll take a wee break and then we'll talk about william wallace If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There are many historical and cultural figures who have as contradictory stories as William Wallace. And like maybe not even like stories that are as obscure. I mean, obviously, like this period of time, it's the 1200s. It's kind of like when you hear historians speak about people like Joni Arc and they're like, this maybe happened, but we're <laughs> not quite sure. Obviously, like all these books are arguing with each other, but like nobody can even agree on like the names of his parents. And many of the stories that we have about Wallace come from an epic poem that was written in the 1400s by a minstrel named Blind Harry who lived during the reign of James IV. And he lived, obviously, 200 years after Wallace's birth. And he writes this epic poem called The Wallace. And everybody uses this as source material, but obviously it's a fucking poem. So... (laughs) 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 It's like... It's like reading the Iliad and taking that as fact, like what ancient Greece was like. Does that make sense? reading, like... Miss Midas by Caroline Duffy and taking that as fact. <laughs> <laughs> she locked the cat in the cellar, etc., etc. Got her, got her once again. <laughs> Instead of constantly pointing out what may or may not be true and like constantly like saying like, oh, this is a contradiction and stuff, I'm just going to put, I've basically put together as best a story and a narrative as I can. So it's long been thought that Wallace was born during the 1270s and he was the second son of a lesser nobleman called Malcolm Wallace. But Wallace's own family seal, found in a letter for 1297, gives his father's name as Alan, which big fanny Scott's dad's names remain in the same after like 100 years. His name's just every, Alan. Every time <laughs> we do an episode and they're like, Mark. <laughs> so true. So true. So his mother's name is given as either Jean, Joan, or Margaret, or some other variant of Margaret, with the location of his birth being 
either Ayrshire or Renfrewshire. I can let mm-hmm. I can let these places argue amongst themselves about where William Wallace is fit, but it's important to note that the events that would shape Wallace's life and death were already well in motion when he was just a wee boy. The Scots king during this time was Alexander III, who was crowned in 1249, and he reigned until his death in 1286. And Scotland at this time is prosperous and it's at peace. Alexander had acquired sovereignty over the Western Isles and the Isle of Man by concluding the Treaty of Perth, which ended Scotland's conflict with Norway. More importantly, relations with England were better than they had ever been for generations. And the language of Scots, which had initially only been present in Edinburgh and the Fourth Basin, had began to spread over the lowlands and the borders. So the language is moving away from like Middle English and it's developing into its own language of Scots mm. and also a lot of the west coast of Scotland up to the Highlands are obviously speaking Gaelic. Scotland is well connected with bridges and roads, which made trading profitable. Even the poor of Scotland traded with silver. However, this nice period in Scottish history would come to a grind and halt. And the bridges, these bridges that would keep Scotland connected would be destroyed in the wars of independence and Scotland would struggle to build itself back up to these prosperous times. Like, we did not recover. Like, if you can remember when we were doing the series on King James the Sixth and First, when he became King of England, he said, I'm trading in this bed of hay for a warm feather bed. That's what he said was like being King of Scotland and then being crowned King of England. Like we did not recover for this the first and second wars of Scottish independence. Like trade was never the same. And then just after like the Stuart dynasty loses their power, Scotland doesn't recover for Culloden. Scotland's identity doesn't recover for Culloden. So these are kind of like dark times that we're gone into. So ever since the time of Malcolm Canmore in the 11th century, the Scots kings had chosen English princesses to be their brides. This started with Malcolm marrying Margaret, Saint Margaret. She was an English princess. Saint Margaret. Yeah, Queen. Queen of being so Catholic, she became a saint. (laughs) Literally, oh my God. What a woman. So they either chose English brides or they had them like foisted like upon them by the lords of Scotland to make sure that the relationship between England and Scotland was like at bay at best. Mm-hmm. When Joanna of England, the first wife of Alexander II, died childless, he broke this tradition and defied his brother-in-law, Henry II, by choosing a bride for himself, Marie de Cucci, <laughs> <laughs> who was the great-great-granddaughter of Louis VI of France. Alexander, who ascended the Scottish throne at the age of eight, was therefore half French. Alexander III, that being in the time of William Wallace's childhood. Alexander III, when he made the Treaty of Perth, it was basically solidified in the fact that his daughter, Margaret, married a Norish prince called Eric. And even though Alexander like made Scotland like prosperous and peaceful and he had these strong ties with Norway and the English were at bay, his like whole legacy would be marred by a succession of domestic tragedies. His younger son David died unmarried in 1281, so there goes the male heir. 
Alexander, his eldest son and heir to the throne, died three years later. Oh, I knew about this stuff. Sorry, I got excited. I remember this. I remember this. I think a lot of people will ken where I'm going with Alexander the Third. Like it all spoke spoke about in primary school, especially if you're fifth five, you're maybe gonna ken where I'm going with this. So his second son dies, uh, although he was married to the daughter of the county Flanders. They never had a child, so no heir. In twelve eighty three, his daughter Margaret of Norway died in childbirth, leaving as heir to the Scottish and Norwegian thrones a girl who was baptized Margaret, but is better known to posterity as the Maid of Norway. So, Alexander's daughter Margaret, who married Prince Eric of Norway, she's known as the Maid of Scotland, and her daughter Margaret also is known as the Maid of Norway. Just to save mm. anybody for confusion, basically, after Prince Alexander's death. King Alexander took steps to have his baby granddaughter acknowledged by the magnates of Scotland as his successor. The following year, in 1285, he remarried, and the hopes of Scotland was pinned on his beautiful young French bride, presenting him with a sturdy son who would ensure the continuation of the dynasty. Yolanda was another descendant of Louis VI, and in these Franco-Scottish marriages lay the seeds of the old alliance, which flourished between Scotland and France in the 15th and 16th century when... Mary Queen of Scots. Real, real. (laughs) There's always a tie-in, there's always a (laughs) tie-in. But the untimely death of Alexander III brought this incipient French influence to an abrupt end. So he dies before he can have have a male airways new French wife, Yolanda. Mm-hmm. On March 19th, 1286, Alexander III had spent the evening at Edinburgh Castle celebrating his second marriage and overseeing a meeting with royal advisers. He was cautioned against making the journey to Fife because of weather conditions, but he crossed the Forth from Dalmeny to Inverkeven anyway because his <sighs> wife was in Fife and he wanted to see her. On arriving at Inverkeven, he insisted on not stopping for the night, despite the pleas of the nobles accompanying him and one of the burgesses of the town. Yeah, I wouldn't want to stop in Inverkeven either, if I'm honest. (laughs) (laughs) No comment. (laughs) There's no much I can say. So the burgess of the town like kens King Alexander quite well, so this is why he says rather bluntly to the king's like lackey self-awareness about what he's gone into. Like there's a really massive storm on at the moment, and he's like riding with his horse, like and <laughs> at the, in this part of Fife, it's all along like the fourth mouth, basically. So it's all yeah. cliffs. And the burgess of Inverkeven goes, My lord, what are you doing out in such weather and darkness? How many times have I tried to persuade you that midnight travelling will do you no good? Real. And a lot of people should take that advice. Yeah, a lot of people should take note. (laughs) Still poignant to this day. Alexander ignored the repeated warnings about travelling in a storm and set off with his retinue and two local guides. The king became separated from the party near Kinghorn and was found dead with a broken neck near the shore the following morning. It is assumed that his horse lost footing in the dark, while some texts say that he fell off the cliff. There is no cliffs at the site where the body was found. However, there is a very steep rocky embankment, which kind of sounds like a cliff, which could have been fatal in the dark. <laughs> I was about to say, is that, not, <laughs> is that not what a cliff is? I, when I was like obviously researching for William Wallace, I did not care a lot about William Wallace, but I knew this 
because my nana used to drive me past Kinghorn when I was wee and she'd point at that and she'd be like, Scottish King died there. (laughs) (laughs) And I knew it was Alexander, but I didn't know it was this one. Um, So Mm. obviously King Alexander's dead and King Alexander's only heir is his granddaughter, Margaret, made in Norway. Margaret's father, Eric of Norway, and the Scottish lords agreed with the King of England at the time, Edward I, known as the Hammer of Scots, that Margaret should marry Edward's son, an English prince. So kind of keeping in theme with the marrying English princesses that the Scottish kings had done. But obviously it's a male heir, so Edward's basically wanting his son to become King of Scotland. Yeah. Like, because... Like not only is like Scotland like really well connected with its roads and bridges, especially like in the fourth basin eh, Scotland. That part, like say like there's a place called Curis in Fife and it's like a ancient town and all the houses there have like Danish tiles on their roofs and it like oh. looks like a mini Danish town. But Scottish and old and it's Mm. because of the trading routes that the fourth mouth had at this time uh, and had throughout history so Edward like sees how well connected Scotland is and how Mm. prosperous it is and he's like I want some of that so he wants his young son to marry the maid in Norway so Edward I arranged a ship to bring Margaret from Norway to Scotland she was to be crowned Queen of Scotland before travelling to England to marry his son does this sound like familiar to Mary Queen of Scots a bit, like to anybody? Like, like I'm getting... history repeating itself, but like beforehand, um, like Mary Queen of Scots was a re- a repetition sort of thing. No. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I thought when I was like reading about this. So the guardians and other prelates and magnates wrote that they were firmly in favour of the English match for quote the Lady Margaret, Queen of Scotland, our Lady. It is strongly implied that Margaret's husband would be king and Edward insisted on referring to Margaret as queen in order to speed up the accession of his own son, although the Scots themselves normally described her only as their lady. Uh, The Scots wanted Margaret to be queen of Scotland. They didn't want Edward to be king of Scotland at all. He would have been, what is it called? Like a consort? Yeah. So he would basically just be king consort of Scotland. Negotiations about Margaret's marriage, dowager, succession and the nature of the intended personal union between England and Scotland continued into 1290. A lavishly provisioned ship failed to fetch the maid in May because of diplomatic difficulties. The Treaty of Burgham agreed that Scotland was to remain fully independent despite the personal union and that Margaret alone would be inaugurated as the monarch at Schoon. By late August 1298, Margaret was preparing to sail from Bergen to the island of Great Britain, or she was already at sea at this point. The ship was her father's, but he did not accompany her, and she presumably embarked in good health, but became ill during her journey. The ship landed in Orkney, having suffered there for up to a week from either food poisoning or less likely motion sickness. Margaret died in the arms of a bishop who was escorting her to Scotland. Her death threw Scotland into chaos with no obvious choice on who to succeed her. She would have been seven years old. Oh my god. That's fucked that she's getting married off at seven. At seven years old? Yeah, I think Mary Queen of Scots was maybe 12 when she got married. That's slightly more reasonable, but still. 
I mean, it's still fucked. It's proper Game of Thrones kind of shit. This is so Game of Thrones. <laughs> Me when we're reading about a royal family. This no, is so Game of Thrones. <laughs> I've been trying not to say it the whole time because I know I sound like because like you know when international students come to Scotland and they're like, oh my god, it looks like Hogwarts, right? Like literally everything. Yeah. They'll see any piece of architecture and be like, oh my god, it's like Hogwarts. And I'm like, no, Glasgow Uni, it does not actually look like Hogwarts. It was never part of the Harry Potter movies. Stop. <laughs> and then yeah, I know that I sound just as like brain dead when I say this is like Game of Thrones, but it is. Like, it when is. We were like Alexander was... dying by falling off his horse, he might as well have just been bored by a boar. And like him and then calling her queen just so that he can be king steal faster. Her yeah, or, it's prince consort, isn't it? Because you can't be king. Yeah, that like yeah, yeah, outranks yeah. like prince consort. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it sounds it sounds like a little finger kind of thing to do. <laughs> so Scotland's in chaos. There's no obvious choice on who is gonna succeed Margaret. Robert Bruce of Annandale, grandfather to the Robert the Bruce, marched at the head of an army to Perth with the intention of being crowned King of Scotland at Schoon. One of the surviving guardians who had ruled Scotland on behalf of Margaret, the Bishop of St Andrews, asked Edward I of England to judge the competing claims of those who wished to be King of Scotland. Fuck, actual knows why he's asking him. This actually sounds more like brave. Tea. <laughs> Much to consider. <laughs> We're pointing Point, at each other. <laughs> pointing in a gay way. <laughs> Point and but gay. <laughs> um, so Edward the First, for some reason, is asked by Scottish nobles who have been ruling Scotland to oversee their choice a monarch. So, what do you think that Edward the First is going to do? He's going to choose somebody that he can manipulate. Oh, little finger! I told you. This was basically. They basically chose him to avoid civil war, and the result that they got was much worse. You know, sometimes reading about or listening about or whatever I'm doing when I'm learning about Scottish history, I think to myself, we've not always made the best decisions. No. no. <laughs> Everything that has happened that Scotland has done has kind of been stupid. Sometimes we deserve the bad things that happen. Like... As much as, like, obviously, like, Scotland, a land of intellect and invention is also, like, I mean, I suppose you could say this about any country that's made a shite diplomatic decision, but in the, like, early medieval period and, and much up until the Enlightenment, the people who were, like, in control of Scotland cocked Nitwits. it up hundreds Nitwits. of times. Nitwits. Nitwits, bozos, buffoons. <laughs> <laughs> so this period where they're choosing and Edward's in control who's going to be selected to be the Scottish king is known as the great cause Edward I agreed to adjudicate between what ended up as 13 competitors for the Scottish crown all of those could claim some distant connection with the house of Dunkeld which is the original like lineage the scottish monarchy before oh. it becomes after robert the bruce after a couple of his heirs die his daughter i believe 
marries into the Stuart monarchy and that becomes the House of Stuart. This is kind of where we end up. Mm. But we'll go through that when we do a series about Robert the Bruins. So (laughs) anyway, being Edward, he did attach one small condition that the judging would take place at Norham Castle, which was on the English side of the border. And that in order to take part, the competitors would each have to agree that should they become king, they would accept that they did so under the sovereignty of the King of England. So dumb that everybody went ahead with this. In effect, Scotland would become a vassal or client state of England. Edward held all the cards, so eventually all serious claimants accepted the condition. The adjudication was in the hands, nominally at least, of a court of 104 arbiters, appointed by Edward and including nominees of the main competitors. Over time, the 13 competitors boiled down to three, and then two, John Balliol and Robert Bruce. (gasps) I know that one. Uh, John Balliol, I, I think a lot of people who ken a tiny bit of Scots history if they ten it in like school when they were younger would have had like a wee light bulb moment when John Balliol's name got mentioned. Yeah, well, if you do the history, but like the Gaelic version, they teach you about that fucker. Tomb to Bard. He's known, yeah. he basically has like a slur kind of name that means empty coat. It's basically trying to say that John Balliol's coat of arms doesn't mean fuck all. It's empty Drag and it's her. useless. And we'll see why it's empty and useless. Balliol and Bruce both have very strong claims to being in line. The strongest claims to being the next Scottish monarch. Balliol's could be argued that it was stronger because it came for the eldest daughter of this lineage. Mm-hmm. Bruce's could be argued to be stronger because he was one generation nearer to this lineage, mm. albeit via a younger daughter of the Earl who became the Scottish King. It's all very complex. That's confusing, yeah. But on November 6th, 1292, the Arbiters recommended in favour of John Balliol. Edward announced his exception of their recommendation in the Great Hall of Berwick Castle on 17th November 1292, and Balliol was crowned King of Scotland at Schoon on 30th November 1292. Or... St Andrew's Day is when (sighs) John Balliol is pronounced as King of Scotland. Edward wasted no time in proving that Balliol was his man, humiliating him and forcing him to do as he was told and governing what was now treated as little more than a province of England. Matters came to a head in 1294 when Edward demanded Scottish troops to support his war against France. Under pressure for the Council of Scotland, Balliol refused but formalised a mutual defence with Philip the Fourth of France against England, so this is this is this is the signing of the old alliance. Yeah. So John Balliol's a bit sicky being pushed around by Edward, and he's like, "No, nah, I'm no fighting like Scottish's strongest ally with England. Um, if you can't beat him, join him." So he signs the old alliance essentially. Edward's response was to sack Berwick-upon-Tweed, which at this point is a Scottish town. And it's Scotland's most prosperous town because it's by the sea, it's close to England, it has a really big population for the time. I think the population of Berwick's like 20,000 or something like that at this point. Like the same as it is now. (laughs) Berwick Berwick has a very great caravan park that I used to go to when I was wee. Yes, I've been... (laughs) I used to go, I used to go, like, the village that I grew up in, when I was, like, three or four, 
everybody went. Every single person from our village who was anybody <laughs> went to Berwick upon Tweed. And the song Ignition by R. Kelly really reminds me of Berwick upon Tweed because it was number one when we went. <laughs> so that's a wee lighthearted note before I tell you what Edward did to Berwick upon Tweed. <laughs> He captured the town in just a few hours and he killed 7,000 inhabitants in several in seven what? days, basically. Raped, pillaged, no. burned. Berwick was fucked. Um, the Scottish army was defeated then at the Battle of Dunbar on the 27th of April, 1296. And so started the Scottish Wars of Independence. <laughs> so John Balliol was captured by Edward's troops after the Battle of Dunbar after the mm. loss at the Battle of Dunbar. He was captured in a churchyard in Angus. He was then forced to sign a document admitting that he allied himself with his feudal overlords, enemies, and surrendering his kingdom to Edward. His nickname, Tomb Tobardus, fought to refer to the removal of the heraldic insignia of his tunic as party's submission. So they basically oh ripped the coat of arms off his uh. clothes. From now on, That's Edward so I of England intended to rule Scotland directly without the inconvenience of a Scottish king to complicate matters. As a symbol of Edward's total domination, he removed the stony destiny on which Scottish kings had been crowned from Schoon and moved it to Westminster Abbey, where it was to remain, apart from a brief and unofficial journey north in early 1951, until it returned fully on the 15th of November 1996. So now everybody can say that got Sick. stolen. And twisted. Sick, Sick and, and twisted. twisted. Evil. I hope his death from syphilis was painful. <laughs> Back to William Wallace, because you might be wondering why the fuck we're not talking about him. <laughs> it is important to summarise all this, because even before the great cause was settled and Edward had sacked Berwick, there had been sporadic outbreaks in various parts of the country, beginning as brawls and riots between overbearing soldiers and irritated natives. And then these gradually escalated into ambushes. One such skirmish took place in 1291 on the flanks of Luden Hill. Blind Harry's account states that Wallace's father was slain in an encounter with an English knight called Fenwick, and that Wallace's brother also died in the same fight. This left William Wallace with a smouldering hatred for the English. Real. This is how Blind Harry sets him up. Me after that train to London. <laughs> well, when she said, "Well," <laughs> <laughs> when that English knight killed William Wallace's dad and went, "Well," <laughs> exactly. I feel like I'm justified in my response. At some point, fairly early in Wallace's life, he becomes an outlaw. This seems to have been for killing an Englishman called Selby, son of the English constable at a castle who insulted him in Dundee. He then killed two English soldiers in Ayrshire who challenged him over his poaching of fish in the area. Um, Wallace's transformation from common outlaw to freedom fighter came in May 1297. According to some sources, Wallace had secretly married a woman named Marion Braidfoot. He was visiting her and their baby daughter in Lanark when English soldiers became aware of him. He escaped, but the sheriff of Lanark, Sir William Helsolrig, had Marion executed. That same night, Wallace and his men entered Lanark Castle and killed every single English soldier present and Helserig. See, now, valid response to that, but when you look at everything else before that point, 
well maybe not valid response to that but the killing the guy yeah uh he's william wallace comes across less <laughs> like and i don't get me wrong like war with english yeah sure fine but he comes across less as like a hero and more as like a really mentally ill person <laughs> <laughs> i think that's i mean we've spoke about like what so he's like for the lesser nobility of scotland yeah that's a fact and we've spoke about what the nobility in scotland was like at this point that's true to call them noble it's a bit of an oxymoron because when they're not fighting with each other and like pillaging and raping everybody else's lands amongst themselves if it's the english they're also doing the same to them like it doesn't matter like what colors you're wearing as long as it's no my colors essentially so like yeah i do kind of it's even like you can consider it like a mental illness on his part i genuinely think that this was just so normalized and it I suppose it's the same with, like, all the infighting that used to happen in, like, the French, like, all the different provinces of France, like, how Flanders would constantly fight with, like, Burgundy and yada, yada, yada. And I'm pretty sure the English nobility were probably doing the same thing, but they had big horses, so it was more civilised, I guess. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, it's it's the 1290s. Everybody was doing it back then. (laughs) It was crazy back then. (laughs) You don't have a mental health disorder? Get one, bitch. Get one, bitch. (laughs) So he massacres every single soldier for the execution of his wife. There. (laughs) Vine booms when he goes into the doors of Lanark Castle. (laughs) Um... (laughs) When John Balliol was being held prisoner in the town of London, an official revolt against the English was underway in Murray and Easter Ross, which was led by a Scottish noble called Andrew Murray. Wallace had always said that his struggle was on behalf of the deposed king, John Balliol, though there was never any indication that Balliol supported Wallace's rebellion. Wallace became public enemy number one after the massacre at Lanark and went on to besiege Dundee Castle. Meanwhile, Edward I was sending a large army north to ensure that the English fortress of Stirling Castle would not be captured and to suppress this rebellion. William Wallace and Andrew Murray met up and joined forces to face the advancing English at Stirling. They were playing doubles at Wimbledon. (laughs) (laughs) So they maximised their joint slay in what becomes to be known as the Battle of Stirling Bridge. So we'll talk about that in the next episode. Cliffhanger. Suspense. Oh my god, waiting two weeks to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Liam's waiting um, like two days. <laughs> well, sucks to be you losers. But aye, that's William Wallace part one. With very little Wallace. <laughs> mm. Scenes needed to be set though. Yeah. I liked it. Thank you. I like that. I'm really just... proud of that. Yeah. It, it shows when I read a book. <laughs> So if you want to follow us on social media, you can get us on Instagram at the Creepy Wee Podcast, Twitter at the Creepy Wee Pod, um, our website and our merchandise is at thecreepywepodcast.co.uk and you can give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks. Bye. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. 
Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.